it just me? All right, good, good. I'm glad. This has been been awesome already. I don't know if you caught that, but uh, you know, a couple people that uh, the Lord just prompted their heart this morning for baptism, and I don't know if you know, Chad there was actually the brother of Chantel who was first baptized. So, the Lord's way of of testifying, pretty awesome. Yeah. Well, this uh, is second week of Advent, and uh, we're going to focus mainly a a little bit on the book of Luke. At least I'm going to introduce you to the book of Luke, chapter 2, the Christmas account. We won't go through the whole thing, but uh, we'll save that for Christmas Eve. But I want to get you there this morning. Have I ever told you about my invention? Have I told you about Jeff? No? Okay. yeah, yeah, well, I, no, actually, I invented something. It's, it's, it's huge. It's huge. And I, you may not know I invented it. I mean, I never, got, I never actually, like, got the patent or, like, came up with a prototype or put it into production or got a company to help me. I, I mean, I never did any of that, but, um, but, you know, it was my invention. It's the side wristwatch. You don't seem impressed. Uh, the side wristwatch. Yes, it, it's, not, it's a watch that it's not on the top and it's not on the bottom. It's actually on the side of your wrist. Um, are you intrigued? No? If, if you're not intrigued, this sermon is going really long. Oh, oh you're very intrigued all of a sudden. Very intrigued. So, uh, so here's what I'm thinking is uh, you're in a meeting, right? Or you're with somebody, and you don't want to be rude. You're a nice person, right? But you're, you're cutting a little short on time, and you, you need to keep track of the time. Right away, if you do this or you do this, guess what they're thinking? Am I boring you? you know, is my time not important for you or something? So what do you do? You hold your wrist like this all the time, right? So you just glance with your eyes really quick. Oh, all right, yeah, I know what time it is. I know how much time I got. I know if I need to wrap up this conversation or not. Never one of the awkward these or these because you're always looking right now. Come on, now come on. How about that? Yeah, that's it. I really thought this was going to revolutionize the world. Um, then two things happened. Number one, uh, the cell phone world hit, and uh, nobody under 40 really wears a watch. And uh, secondly, uh, apparently somebody had already done it. And so there it went. Uh, that was it. I thought it was going to change really the, the known world as we know it, but, uh, but it's not. But uh, it, here's the lead-in to all of that silliness is that really, though, in, in actuality, there are these ideas or concepts in history that have revolutionized history. They, they have, have just uh, changed history as it might have been otherwise, and these are things like uh, that everybody bought into. Everybody thought was a great idea, and they, some of them functioned for, for years and hundreds of years, um, and some of them we actually like have forgotten altogether. We don't even remember it's there unless you're a big history buff. I want to give you an example that's actually going to help us on the journey this morning, and it shaped like European history for 500 years, or more than 500 years. It's this. It's called the divine right of kings. You ever heard this? The divine right of kings. Here's what it means. If you were king, everything you said was law. If you were the ruler, you were the king. If you said it, it was law. You got anything you wanted, and you could declare anything, and it would become because you declared it. Why? Because you had the divine right to speak it 
that way. This is what it assumed. It assumed that God had placed you on the throne, and therefore, if you were speaking or you were directing into something, you, you were actually doing it as if God was telling you this is what you needed to say. Um, you had that kind of authority. Even the church at, at the time would have been kind of worried or they would have been wondering what is being said or declared by the king. So if you oppose the king, guess what? You opposed God. If you obeyed the king, then you got it. You were obeying God as well. So imagine for a second the kind of courage it would take to buck against that system. It had been in place for like over 500 years. And if you tried to buck against that and push against that and say something was otherwise, pretty good guts. But then it happened. A man by the name of Samuel Rutherford, he was actually a Scottish pastor. And he wrote a book in 1644, and it was called Lex Rex. That was the name of the book, Lex Rex. In Latin, it means this, the law is king. And in saying this, what he was actually saying was, you kings need to be aware that the law actually stands over you. And if you do something outside of God's law, guess what? You're going to be subject to God. That was what was declared in this book. 500 years of history here, a European history that said otherwise, divine right of king, and now this little Scottish pastor is writing this book that says, no, God's law is law, and you, even as king, are subject to it. Now, uh, Rutherford just suggested he was following God, and he was just putting it down on paper, and in doing so, we find that he actually changed the course of history for us as well, because this was really the, the start. It laid the foundations for what would become the democracies of Europe and then later of America as well. Now, uh, Lex Rex was huge, but uh, as you may know, um, it was burned in the streets. It was one of the the key books burned at one of the Oxford University uh, book-burning parties. And Rutherford actually went to prison because he wrote this, and he died before he actually could stand trial. Now, if he had went to trial, he would have been killed after the trial, so I guess either way. (laughs) Oh, he died for this cause. But this publication was a huge turning point politically and socially, economically, and spiritually. It came at a significant time. In fact, it came as what historians would call the right time in human history. And that statement is really exactly what I want to say this morning and walk you through about the coming of Jesus Christ. That the coming of Jesus Christ came at the right time. That God didn't just say, ah, let's just do it. But God looked at what was going on in human history and the prophecies, and he said, this is the time to send my son to earth. And so that's what we're going to walk through. But in order to do that, I I need to explain something to you. I I need to go somewhere with you. And in my studies this week, I walked through it, and it it was a pretty awesome time, actually, to walk through this. And so for the next uh, couple hours, I want to walk through this uh, with you as well. Uh, if you like history, you're going to like love this, if you like history. If you don't like history, well, I mean, it, I guess at least I'm saying it in the present. 
So it's not even like it's history, right? It's all in the present. Uh, in the early church, uh, in the first century, there was a similar grand assumption. In fact, it was what birthed the, what we just talked about a while ago. Uh, a while ago. Man, I am, I'm really Southern now, right? That just flowed out, Mike. I just, man, I'm proud of myself. Uh, it's, where, it's what birthed this. Uh, let's start with, uh, well, here's the interesting thing is, as I was studying this, this week, I can't keep my mic on my ear today, I'm sorry. That's why I'm playing with my ear. I don't have fleas. I'm actually trying to fix this thing. As I was studying this and looking at this, um, I actually saw that there, there is, uh, there, there's all of these artifacts that you can walk through and you can start to see some of this ancient history. And I walked actually just through, in amazement, through a study of coins. If I were to take a coin to you and I would show you the back of our coin today and then I would show you the sayings on the back, you could actually point to moments in our history on why that was put there and what that meant and what the people minting the coins or founding fathers meant by that. Same true uh, with, with, with these times as well in, in the ancient Near East, uh, ancient Roman Empire is what we'll look through actually. And I want to give credit to Dr. Gary Berg of Wheaton College who um, it was significant when I lived in Chicago and a couple of his lectures actually helped me make sure I got the facts right on this as well. So I, I want to show you, here's coin number one uh, I want to show you a picture of. This is Julius Caesar. Um, Julius Caesar, you know that name, right? Of course, uh, he is a huge name in ancient history. He ends the Roman Republic, but then, of course, he's murdered uh, in, by the Senate in B.C., uh, 44 B.C. So, history teachers, am I tracking okay so far? Rich Brendel, I'm okay? Okay, I know he's back there on his phone <laughs> looking this up and make sure. Now, um, now, when he's murdered, like, the Roman world goes into chaos, there's like terrorism and there's riots in the street and there's class warfare and all this kind of stuff because the leader, the, the, the one who conquered the Roman Republic is now dead, gone. And so this chaos everywhere uh, in, in the kingdom there. And they were worried about a couple things. Number one, where is our security going to come from now? And where is our financial prosperity going to come from now in this type of chaos? Makes sense, right? When there's chaos, we wonder about... Uh, those things. And here's what happens. Right after his death, one of the generals who had been actually killing those who opposed Julius Caesar, he became emperor of Rome. You know this name. His name's Octavian. And he actually begins the Roman Empire in 26 BC. Begins the empire. So when we talk in the New Testament times about the Roman Empire, like this is the birth of that. And he's given the name Augustus. And with this name, it's kind of like this honorary adoptive title, but it calls him the son of Julius Caesar. He's actually just a grandnephew of Julius Caesar, but now he's known as a son. What does that mean? Maybe you're tracking so far and you can put the two and two together. Now he has a right to the throne. He has a right to the, the, uh, the emperor title because of this honorary title of being son of and so that's exactly what happens. He is declared the new emperor. Here's the second thing, though, that happens. It's actually uh, more interesting. There starts to circulate in this time, probably from Augustus, it starts to spread that Julius Caesar, when he died, like this star came up out of the ground and drifted up where people could see the star, and it went to be in the heavens, declaring that now Julius Caesar 
rest with the gods. Kind of, that's kind of laughable to us. I mean, it's a, that's kind of funny type of stuff for us to think of. Like in our day and age, if I were to say this about uh, anyone, nobody was laughing in the Roman Empire. And this star became a very significant symbol that would actually date things back and connect things to Julius Caesar. And so uh, you might have figured this out already, but it meant that if Augustus were son of Julius Caesar, then Augustus was the divine son, son of one of the gods. Take a look at this next coin here. Um, If you look at this coin, you'll see this coin comes from the time of Augustus. That's him on the left. Kind of, kind of beautiful. Oh, go back one. I'm sorry. There we go. Um, So uh, that's him on the left. So uh, I guess it's kind of beautiful. I I don't know. So, but that's, that's him. Um, and on the side, you can, see, you can see the word Augustus on there. But on the right side, and this is pretty cool, it says in Latin, divine Julius. So there's this connection at the center of the coin. Um, you also see this. What does it look like? It's that star that we just talked about that came up out of the ground and went to heaven. And so it's drawing this connection to Augustus down. So this, this concept of the star starts to spread throughout the Roman Empire. And it shows up in a lot of ways. I mean, we're just looking at coins, but if you were so interested that you want to look at other things in the early Roman Empire, you could look those things up and you would see this type of stuff. Here's a coin that's minted by uh, Julius Caesar, this third coin here. Um, and, and if you notice, uh, uh, the word divine in Latin's on the right and the word F, which is short for Phileus, which is son in Latin. So son of the, the divine here is what is being said. So that's what's being declared on all the currency as it goes out. Could you imagine if our, if our leaders, any leader over the course of your lifetime, like declared himself divine? We just would be like, no, no, we're not, gonna, we're not into that, standing for that. Before Julius Caesar, this wasn't declared here in the Roman Republic. Now Augustus is starting to declare this, and it's starting to circulate, and it's being bought into. Uh, 2012, this coin sold. You want to guess how much? $77,000 this little coin sold for. Hang on to your nickels, right? Who knows? You never know. Uh, so what's going on here? Suddenly, like the Roman Empire, it's strengthened because people are looking and are going, man, our leaders, they're divine now. They commune with the gods So we have to follow them. We have to obey them. We need to trust in them. They can give us more than some other ruler can give. And Augustus has this divine right to the throne. So they're starting to to now get this power from the the empire. And so the, the terrorism and the chaos is going away. And the security is returning because of this proclamation. Rome now has this spiritual authority over your life. That's what they're saying. Therefore, it's rules absolute. That's a big deal. If the person ruling over you is the absolute ruler and you can't buck that system, then that's a big, big deal. So now the other emperors, they just kind of follow the same, right? It just continues. Um, Then their expectation is full devotion to the empire, religious as well. Here's another coin from Tiberius who comes after Augustus. And you see there's actually markings and lines on this. T for Tiberius. Uh, Caesar, which means he followed in the correct line. And then we have that DV that, that means divine. So Tiberius, the divine Caesar. They're drawing it all the way back to the divine here as well. They're just going to keep this going as a tradition now that the emperor is divine as well. And so therefore, you need to follow 
the emperor. The emperor who comes after him is Caligula. And here's another coin. And you'll see uh, on the left is Caligula. And to connect him into the right line, Augustus is on the right. And he's got uh, uh, two stars tying back to Julius Caesar. And then we find that Augustus is wearing this radiant crown. And this is an interesting symbol, this divine crown, because this is an image that actually circulated at the time of Jesus. This image of the divine crown. It goes all the way back, actually, to, to Augustus' money. And so this, this radiant crown, do you know that when Jesus is put on the cross and he's mocked as a ruler, a king of the Jews, what's put on his head? The, this crown of thorns. Uh, kind of a mocking way of saying, you know the crown that our emperor wears, the radiant crown? Here's your equivalent as well in this crown of thorns. It's interesting some of the tie-in. So what's really going on here, if, if people are worried about their security, if you're worried about your economic prosperity, and somebody sweeps in that says, look, we commune with the gods here, and we have the ability to offer you security, we have the ability to offer you your, your prosperity and your, your security financially as well, and guess what? In that, we're going to bring peace to your life. And so the Roman Empire started to develop this thing called the Pax Romana, peace, Pax, peace. And it was after this, this goddess of the Roman Empire named, the goddess for peace was named Pax, and that began to circulate. That's what the Roman Empire could offer you. That's what the emperor, the, this divine emperor now can offer you. Peace in your life, security, financial prosperity, and that would come to you. Take a look at this last coin from the time of Augustus. Uh, he's on the left, uh, but then on the right, you see Pax. That's the Roman goddess to the right. And what's at her, sword, uh, at her foot is like a sword, and, and it represents this, this military conquest. We will be the strongest power in the world. We'll offer you that type of security in our kingdom. But then, uh, this is pretty cool. I learned this this week. She's holding something that looks kind of like it came out of a Harry Potter movie there, but it, but it didn't, actually. It's, it's called a caduceus. And in, in Greek God tradition, it's a staff that Mercury held, and it represents commerce. And what it's being said there is, in our peace, we'll bring you prosperity to the empire, and then to you, we'll bring you that type of thing. These are just coins that declare these type of things. How much more the, the straightforward talk and push, this is the message of the Roman Empire, this is what's going on at the time of Jesus or just before the time of Jesus. It's come into full force and trust is solely placed on this empire under Roman rule. Now, this is what you have to understand. You have Hebrews, Jewish believers in the Old Testament that you read all the way up to the time of Christ. And guess who they're to follow always as their supreme God? Yahweh, who we've talked about the God of the Old Testament, the God that we read about, that we study about. But now they're getting a mixed message. They're getting this message, boy, if you really want security, if you really want this prosperity, if you want peace, the Roman Empire now that controls you, the Roman Empire will bring it to you. They'll bring you this. You just need to give them your heart and soul and trust into them fully. That's the time. Then it happens. The rumors of a child, a, a child king. The, the time seemed correct, and the prophecies, the rumors of it coming true, uh, a child king born to rule, 
And these prophecies claimed that through, through the Hebrew religion, they'd always been there in the writings, but now there was rumors and word of it coming true. So this is what happens and what's happening, excuse me, in the world when Jesus' birth occurs. That's your background story. So now, let me ask you, do you think it's any accident that when Jesus is born and Augustus is ruling and this propaganda that we walk through on this coin that the Roman Empire is your salvation and this star that ties it back to Julius Caesar the divine, is it any accident then that a star leads the wise men and appears over Bethlehem, that God uses that type of symbol here? Matthew chapter 2, verse 2, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. You could see the the connection and what it would have meant in the empire, not just a star in the sky and there's lots of stars in the sky, but the symbol that ties the emperor to the divine is now being hijacked by God to declare the coming of his son. Do you think it's any accident that the shepherds are told the son of God is born? That's, that's Augustus's title, the son of Julius Caesar, the son of the divine. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is Messiah, the Lord. And every Hebrew knew as soon as that word Messiah was said what that meant. The long-awaited deliverer, the one that the prophecies called the son of God. That's who is declared has come. And then, and check this out, the angels on the hillside, they pronounce this. What do they pronounce? Do you remember? Peace on earth. Suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angels, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. That's that pax we're talking about. I mean, is that not amazing that the same propaganda that's being pushed By the Roman Empire, God comes in and he declares those words on his son, the savior of the world. The birth of Jesus in Bethlehem, it's it's like God's disruption to the empire here as he comes in. Are you looking for a star? Are you looking for peace? He says, what are you looking for? You'll only find it in Bethlehem, not in Rome, not in a guy on a throne who declares himself to be greater than he is, that's pretty cool. That's the time. This is what's going on. And so you can see when, when God sent Jesus into this world, he sent him at the appropriate time. At the time where the Hebrews had this opportunity to say, do we go with this Roman Empire? This sounds pretty good. It's been a long time since we've heard something from God. I mean, since God has been declaring something, we've been reading these ancient prophecies, but really nice if God just showed up on the scene. And what does God do? He bursts in and he sends his son at this time. Now, we're going to talk later on about the difficulty in understanding God's plan to send a baby as the Savior. That doesn't make any sense in their thinking. But God chose the time and his security, his prosperity, his way of prosperity, his peace was sent. Now, Luke chapter 2. When you open up and you read the Christmas story this season, when you read it to your kids... 
uh, during this season or the night of December 24th or the morning of Christmas, it says this, chapter 2, verse 1, In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to his own town to register. Now you have this background story, and you understand who this character was and what was going on, and that they had the right to declare a census. It hadn't been too long since they had kind of run, you know, they had just kind of run over this region and become the rulers. So it's about time to figure out who do we have and how many do we have. So Joseph also went up to the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them at the end. God's divine time to look into his world and say, this is the time to send my son. And I wonder this morning if the parallel might be true in your life. Like, like you're looking and, and you're, a, you know, you're, you're, you're an American here and, and we live in a, a place that at times seems very awesome and prosperous and other times seems very frustrating. That seems to be the, the, our nation these days. And I wonder if you look and go, man, where does my prosperity or my security, and don't get hung up on prosperity as, you know, your bank account's going to keep going up. Um, it's not necessarily what God meant by the word at all. Where's my security coming from? Where is my peace coming from? And there's a lot of things you can choose from. If you watch your TV set, and if you buy into the propaganda that, that is kind of shot at you through shows and commercials and newscasts and those type of things, there's a lot of choices. A lot of people saying, we can offer you security, prosperity, we can offer you peace. And I wonder if the parallel today is the same as the time of these Hebrews, of God wanting so badly to burst into your life and said, you looking for security, prosperity, you looking for peace? You're not going to find it in those things. It's still found in the baby of Bethlehem. It's still found there. And I wonder if this is a season when you need to look at what he has delivered and what he's offered to you. And so I want to encourage you this week, if, if it's all intriguing to say this is the time of my life, those questions are just as real for me today as they probably were for those people back then, I want to encourage you to take God's word and That passage I just read is in Luke chapter 2. It's one of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I want to encourage you to start right there, chapter 2, and just continue reading past what I just read. And you get this introduction to who Jesus Christ is. You get this introduction to what he brought to this earth and what he wants to do for your life. What we celebrated in the life of these three this morning through baptism, a transformed life. The the security that comes from God, the prosperity that comes from God, and the peace he brings. In fact, there's a great passage that calls it this. It's the peace that passes all understanding. I don't even understand how he could bring peace to my life and my situation. I don't even understand um, my, my, you know, my life's a struggle. You know, we have financial struggles. We have marital struggles. I have issues with my kids. Um, um, I've done terrible things that I am still accounting for. But his word declares, I have the peace I want to bring you. 
through Jesus Christ. Let me pray for you. Father, this morning, I I would suggest that even though we've celebrated three and two that came up here this morning, I would would suggest that there, there has to be someone else who sits out here and their story would be identical to what we just just uh, just talked about for the last 25 minutes that there is this propaganda that is out there that is pushing on them that's pushing on them that's drawing them in to say I, I'll give this to you if you give me your heart and soul I will offer you this security this peace when all the time you the creator says I have it I sent I sent it for you it's in the person of Jesus Christ and if you would this morning Receive the gift that I sent the, the same way that so many of the Hebrews received Christ. Then this morning, he offers you the same peace that his word declares. And don't be mistaken that every bad thing and struggle will go away. But how amazing would it be if God was walking with you hand in hand within the struggle? Guiding your steps, your thoughts, Helping you manage and navigate it. Helping you even make better choices as you walk on. This Savior bringing salvation to your life. So this morning, Lord, I just pray that for someone this morning that may need to make that decision to say yes to Jesus Christ. Come into my life and be the the Lord of my life and I want to follow you. You can do that. And Father, I want to finish off this prayer by lifting up those who have been in church a long time, and I bet there's some that have spent uh, many, many, many Christmases, listened to many pastors, share many stories uh, from the Gospels and the creation accounts and the prophecies, and it can all just blend together as mundane sometime for them. So Father, I have to ask that you would interject in a fresh and real way It doesn't mean your words have to be different, Lord, but I just pray that the words would hit them in a powerful, different way that they are saved. They have you as their Savior. And there is joy and excitement and peace in claiming that and owning that and living that way. Revive the heart of a Christian in here that needs to be revived, Lord. And Lord, we'll give it to you this morning. We'll trust you and thank you for the celebration that that we've seen before us today already. We pray it in your son's name. Amen. Well, amen. Well, um, I hope you enjoyed walking through uh, some of that and and, uh, you'd be intrigued by walking through some more of that history and then actually find some stuff where it talks about what's going on in the time of Christ and you'll be amazed at uh, how the stories come alive in the Bible knowing some of the background pretty amazing. Hey, can I brag on you for just a second before we end the service? Um, a few weeks ago, uh, we had, uh, Deb Rayner was up here and talking about financial peace and, and gave a little financial challenge to the congregation. And uh, um, I have one word, a little rule for our staff. You're never allowed to be cynical in ministry. You can get disappointed sometimes, or you can be frustrating other times, joy-filled, but you're never allowed to be cynical because cynical is just never where we want to go. But she said that, and I thought, hmm, I wonder what the response would be, guarding myself against going cynical, because, um, you know, it's my own rule. Um, man, the last two weeks, 
you guys uh, just you just blew it away uh, the financially um, and, and where we needed to go building wise in the last uh, couple weeks and uh, as you know our building pledge every month is is sixty one hundred dollars that we need to raise every month and we fell short for for several months and we went eighty eight hundred dollars this past month in our building pledge yeah um, it's it's pretty amazing, and uh, and we hit we hit our budget on target as well. I went uh, over sixteen thousand, which is a little over a thousand, over our our monthly just operational budget uh, as well. So uh, I just want to brag on you, and that was significant um, because every pastor in America looks at Christmas and gets a little nervous um, at Christmas time because money flies everywhere out of my wallet too at Christmas time. And so, uh, so let's just keep it going, uh, faithful, right through the Christmas season uh, with our giving and, and that building pledge. Monday night, I asked you uh, uh, about a month ago to be praying for it. Tomorrow night's the night. We go before the, the uh, City of High Point uh, Council meeting, and we present, uh, all, all, it's not all of the plans, but a pr- pretty good majority of them. We look at walking away with approval uh, for, for that end of it uh, starting tomorrow night. So re- uh, that starts at 5.30, and I think it is a long meeting, goes to like Kingdom Come or something like that. So if you would just be praying tomorrow night, uh, that would be, uh, that'd be great as several of us will be uh, attending that meeting and, and listening in to um, our stuff and probably some other riveting information that we need to be a part of. So, um, so good. Let's, well, we're going to invite our ushers to come and take this morning's offering. If you fill out one of our cards this morning, if you're new with us and, and you did that, just drop in this offering, prayer request, anything like that. Just, just drop it in there and uh, we'd love to send you a little email and connect with you this week and, and we'll pray for those uh, cards that came in. So uh, go ahead and, and do that and drop that in. And uh, why don't you go ahead and stand with us and we'll invite our praise team to lead us out singing.